Um, I don't know how you guys individually study the Bible, how you use it for encouragement, how you use it for <clears throat> study, uh, to gain knowledge. Um, I like to look at the different characters in the Bible uh, as examples. And certainly there are a lot of uh, individuals in the Bible that can encourage us and give us examples in terms of uh, being disciples. Some of them were direct disciples of Jesus himself. They walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they prayed with Jesus. Some were kind of second generation. They were disciples of disciples, so to speak. And others were before Jesus. Um, sometimes we call them maybe types of Christ or uh, antitypes. What I want to talk about this morning and discuss has always been one of my favorite uh, uh, scriptural or biblical characters, and that's, that's David. I can remember when I was a little kid, uh, uh, we had this kind of big kind of picture book of uh, Bible stories. We got it in the local bookstore. And it was illustrated with, you know, who they thought these people looked like, you know, and the print was, the type was big, and I couldn't read at the time, so they would read it to me. And I can remember Moses and how he was put in the bulrushes in a basket to be saved, and Noah's Ark, and, and things like that. Most of the stories were Old Testament stories. I don't remember too many stories from the New Testament. Um, but David uh, slaying Goliath was one that was always prominent, you know. And, uh, so that's where it began. And then as I got older uh, and you began to study the Bible more seriously, um, you find out what a complex individual David actually, actually was. Um, Richard read earlier from Acts read from Acts chapter 13 verses 21 through 23. That was Paul talking about David and alluding to uh, David's lineage uh, to Jesus. Um, there's a similar uh, there's a similar set of scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that I want to read. It's 1 Samuel chapter 13 uh, Verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> and this is Samuel talking to Saul. It says, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord, what the Lord commanded you. So here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and also in Acts chapter 13, David uh, is described after a man after God's own heart. Now, if you know the story or the stories, the biography in 
scriptures of David, uh, you might wonder, well, why is this? How did, how did, why was David described in that way? It's like I mentioned that, that David's a complex individual. He's made, he made a lot of heavy mistakes in his life, okay? Um, but God still describes him in that way. And that's what I want to explore this morning, why God describes him in that way and why he is an excellent example uh, that we can follow if we want to be disciples um, of Jesus Christ. First I want to point out, and I want to look at back at, at Israel and their uh, desire for a king. We know from our studies in scripture that, that God was Israel's ruler since he freed them from bondage in Exodus and brought them out through the wilderness and brought them into the land of milk and honey, the promised land. And he set up earthly leaders to help guide uh, his people. They were called judges. Actually, Samuel was one of the, one of the judges. He might have been the last, the last judge. Um, but the people of Israel wanted to be like the countries that surrounded them. They wanted a tangible king. They did, I guess they wanted something different than someone following them in a cloud or a pillar of fire or, you know, that spoke through prophets. They wanted something that they could see like the rest of the countries around them. And God described uh, the people's desire for a king like the other countries around them as a rejection of him. He, told Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and that's in Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, uh, verses 7 and 8, and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me, from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, also they are doing to you. So. They wanted, people wanted a king. They wanted an earthly king like the Philistines, like the other countries that were around. And the lot fell on Saul. Now Saul, uh, at the beginning of his reign, wasn't totally bad person, but he was basically chosen because of his physical attributes. He was a big guy, he was tall. Uh, it eludes him being handsome. Okay. He looked like a king. He looked like how human beings would look at someone and say, well, this is a leader. This is someone who can lead us in the battle. Uh, they looked at Saul superficially and he became their king. But after a while it became apparent that uh, Saul was a bit thin-skinned, okay? He was also hot-tempered, and he had bouts of depression, okay? So regardless of what he looked like in appearance, inside he was kind of broken and he was kind of messed up. 
Also, Saul was inclined to, to do things his own way. Uh, he thought that, well, God said this, but I'm going to do it this way because that's the way I want to do it. Okay? And as we read in 1 Samuel 13, that God was seeking something different than that. And it's pointed out in 1 Samuel 13, verses 13 and 14, that you messed up, Saul. You're not doing what I want. And so therefore, I'm going to replace you with someone else. And that person he uh, replaced Saul with was David. He said he was looking. It didn't say in, in those verses that we read that what was David. It was a description of the kind of person that God wanted uh, to lead his people. Um, God sought a man after his own heart. And he sought a man. He didn't seek an angel or some other kind of heavenly being to come down and, and rule his people. He sought a person like me and like you. And that's important to point out. Um, in 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, verses 26 through 29, points out that, uh, I mean, as human beings, we're not perfect. But God still is willing and able to use us. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world. Things are not that are not to reduce nothing things that are to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. So God's not looking for uh, the superficiality of a person. Okay? He's looking for what's inside. And of course, some of us have been blessed with uh, physical attributes okay, that are we might consider uh, it's a word I'm looking for more classic uh, beauty than maybe what someone else might have but God doesn't look at that that's not how he judges people he looks inside okay and those are the qualities that David has and what I want to do is look at some of David's qualities here first off David was a, a spiritual individual. He was a spiritual man. And we're talking about being a disciple. <clears throat> That's the first thing I think that you want to try to cultivate in yourself. You want to have that desire for spirituality. Uh, to be able to look inside yourself and to be able to connect with God, so to speak. And David was like that. David's life was in harmony with God. And what does it mean by that? Well, if God said, go this way, I want you to go this way, David was willing to go that way. Okay. If God said to David, I want you to change your life, okay. David was willing 
to change his life. Um, one of the biggest mistakes David made uh, was when he sinned with Bathsheba. And the whole thing got kind of convoluted because he had to manipulate the situation. He had to get rid of Bathsheba's husband before he could go on and have a romance, so to speak, with her. Um, and he ended up setting up uh, her, hu her husband to, to die. Okay. And that was, a, that was a wicked thing to do. But when God pointed out to David through the prophet what he had done, and once it was presented to him squarely in his face what he had done, he didn't fight it. He didn't try to make excuses. Oh, well, what happened was this. And, you know, he was immediately remorseful and, and, and sought to change. So when God says, mm, well, you need to change your life, if that's, if that's pointed out to you, however he does that to you individually and personally, <clears throat> be willing to do it. Okay, look at yourself, look inside yourself, and be willing to do that. David was a spiritual man. That was part of him being spiritual. He was sensitive to the ways of God. In Second Chronicles, uh, Chapter 16, verse 9. <clears throat> For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are true to him. You have done foolishly in this. From now on, you will have wars. So the part of that scripture that I really wanted to emphasize was, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are true to him. Now he's looking for people like that. He's looking for individuals like that. Someone who's going to want to connect with his with him. Someone who's spiritual and wants to be spiritual. And a good part of that is looking and being able to look inside yourself, being able to live with yourself. Okay, understanding yourself. And then, by extension, uh, being sensitive enough to uh, follow God the way He wants you to. David was also a humble individual. Um, when we first hear about David, he's just this unassuming shepherd uh, tending his father's sheep. That's what he was doing when God chose him to be king. Um, in Psalms 78-70. It talks about that. I have chose, he chose his servant David and took him from the sheepfold and tending the nursing ewes. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart he tended them and guided them with a skillful hand. So David was a shepherd tending his father's sheep. And it was, that was a training ground for David, okay? Um, he saw, God saw in David a servant's heart, okay? Um, 
I think of that scripture where it says, and I can't quite put my finger on where it is, but how can you, but in a sense, how can you be trusted with great things if you can't handle smaller things, okay? And, and David, in the long run, was trusted with, with God's kingdom, with God's people. But his training ground was here, out in the hills, tending his earthly father's sheep, making sure they were safe, okay? A humble occupation. David was serving faithfully, and he was serving quietly. He was serving humbly. Because there's no glory, really, in being an isolated sheep herder, okay? You're out by yourself, basically, with the animals, okay? Nobody's really watching, okay? You take care of your business on your own. You can really actually do what you want to do. And so it's up to you to be uh, the person you're supposed to be. And that, that, that leads me to what David was in another way. He had integrity. Okay? If you're going to be trusted to be alone to do someone's work, when you can kind of like slack off and, and do what you want to do, okay? you have to have integrity if you're going to do it the correct way. You're going to do exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And David had that integrity. Um, in Psalm 78, it says that from tending and nursing the ewes, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he tended them and guided them with a skillful hand, with an upright heart. Integrity and uprightness are synonymous, okay? I looked up the word integrity in the Hebrew language, and it's a word that's called thaman, or thaman, T-H-A-M-A-M, and it translates a bunch of different words, but uh, to be complete or to be whole, to be innocent, uh, having a simplicity of life, wholesome, sound, and unimpaired. Those are all synonymous with one having integrity. Okay? Um, integrity equals, equals honesty. It equals trustworthiness. And that's what God is looking for uh, in disciples. He was looking for those qualities in the person he wanted to to lead his people, okay? If you have those basic qualities, God can develop you as a person, okay? And that's what discipleship is all about. You wanting to be developed, you wanting to learn, okay, the ways of God. Okay, before we finish up this morning, I wanna look at three, three Psalms, which kind of show the kind of person that, that, that David was. And it's kind of uh, interesting this morning, we had a, I read a psalm, it wasn't a psalm of David, but here in our singing that we had before our regular service, and then Blake read a psalm, okay, so it was, it's kind of a psalm, psalm day, I guess. The first psalm I want to look at is psalm, uh, the third psalm, 
This is a psalm of David when he fled uh, his son Absalom. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying there is no help for, for you and God. But you, O Lord, are my shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep, and I wake again. The Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Rise up, O Lord, deliver me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. <clears throat> so, if you're familiar with uh, the story of David and Absalom, but it was a, a betrayal. His son, Absalom was his son, and his son betrayed him. And so that's the theme that this psalm here is betrayal. And I don't know individually if we've ever gone through betrayal by someone that we care deeply for or was a, a relative, someone who we, we love, but we can take solace in, in, in this psalm, uh, in the example of, of David. Um, it says he has re rebellious and defiant foes. And these foes are attempting to undermine his faith. This is what alludes to in verses 1 and 2. Um, but David understands that, that uh, God's presence in his life is the one thing that enables him to endure. Okay? That's a faith in God. Right? And David had that, that faith, that spirituality, that connection with God. And then he talks about a shield uh, that God, you know, Texan, like a shield. Um, I don't know what we think of when we think about a shield, uh, a windshield in our car or something like that. But back then, when uh, wars were fought, basically hand-to-hand -hand combat, it wasn't like you're in a bunker or in a tank or, um, you know, I was reading the other day about a sniper, Canadian sniper that uh, picked off a, 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 I don't know if it was Al-Qaeda or ISIS uh, leader. Um, but there was some distance, I forgot exactly what the distance was, but it was miles, you know, it was, it was, it was miles, okay? So that's not the way wars were fought back then, okay, with drones and it was hand-to-hand -hand combat, like this far away, perhaps, with a sword and with a shield. And so that shield is what protected you from the blows from the sword that was, could be afflicted was right there coming at you. And this is what David's alluding to when he talks about God being a shield, God protecting him in that way. It also says that David's confidence in God allows him to sleep peacefully, as in verses 4 through 6. Now, a lot of times if you're caught up in worry, in guilt, in tension, you might find it difficult to sleep. If you toss and turn all night, you can't sleep. 
But David has confidence in God and it allows him to sleep peacefully. As I say, sleep like a, a baby, so to speak. And he understands that God is able to deliver his people in the midst of persecution and troubled times. Not just when times are peaceful, when things are copacetic, but when things are in turmoil. Okay, when bad stuff is raging around, God is there. And that's what he wants to teach us as disciples. Okay, that he's there for us. And we have to know how to uh, access that. Okay. I want to look at Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give heed to my sighing. Listen to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I plead my case to you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil will not sojourn to you. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down towards your holy temple in awe of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouths. Their hearts are destruction. Their throats are open. Graves, they flatter with their tongues. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel because of their many transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let them all take refuge. But let all who take refuge in in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy. Spread your protection over them so that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as a shield. And there's that shield analogy again. This uh, psalm here is a prayer. Uh, It's a morning prayer. It it might have to do with uh, the accompaniment of of sacrifices that are discussed in Exodus 38 and 39. But it's, it's, it's a morning prayer. And I don't know how the rest of you approach your your prayer life when you're not here, your private prayer life when you're not here in the congregation. But it would probably be a good idea to start off in the morning, right? Before you move on with your with your day. Um, that's what David does. He starts off with prayer, petitioning to God in the morning. Okay? And then throughout the day, it says that he waits in expectation. So he has faith. He's not only praying, but he has faith in his prayers. He has faith that God is going to, to answer those prayers in some way, or somehow. Now, from what we know about David, he was a, a warrior king. He's used several times through the analogy of a sword. Okay, we know he was king. God anointed him as king. But he doesn't use those earthly or personal accomplishments to create favor with God. 
he's not praying, well, you know, God, I'm this or that, so I deserve this, okay? And verse 7, he understands that it's only by God's mercy that anyone is able to approach the Lord. We're only able to do that because of the mercy of God. You understand? That's humbleness. We talked about that earlier. God, David was a humble man. His attitude is of reverence and humility. And those are things that, as a disciple, we need to kind of cultivate those things. Um, verse 8 is kind of interesting. Kind of, There's an illusion here that because of the assaults that his enemies make on him, that it only makes him stronger uh, because those assaults drive him to seek God's strength. So that's a form of testing, I would think, as disciples are going to be tested. There's going to be uh, trials that we're going to go through. And it shouldn't, they shouldn't break us. I mean, I'm not saying all the time it's going to be pleasant. I think sometimes those things are relative. Sometimes people differently were able to deal with things differently. And what might bother you, what might bring you perhaps to your knees, might not do that. It might not be the same with me and vice versa. But we're all going to be tested as disciples. We're going to be tested. But David says here, you know, uh, that kind of thing just makes me stronger because I, because of it, I seek out God's strength. Which is cool. So we're going to end here with uh, the eighth psalm. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have found a bulwark because of your, we have found, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are humans that we are mindful that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As I mentioned earlier, that <clears throat> David spent a lot of time alone uh, tending his father's sheep, um, rescuing uh, wandering strays and protecting them from wild predators. It's, if you read 1 Samuel 17, which is 34 and 35, it talks about how he protects the sheep from wild predators. Okay. And as I mentioned earlier, God is preparing David for something bigger uh, in this, this humble setting. Um, David's in solitude, he's in obscurity. And I'm sure uh, he'd be kind of monotonous out there. I mean, you're not chasing sheep around and killing bears and lions all the time. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of downtime, I would think. And David was a musician, he was a poet, so he was 
creating songs and writing poetry. And, uh, he was in solitude, learning to be with himself, learning to get along with himself, dealing with things internally and connecting with God through nature. Um, and it's not a stretch to think that they were perhaps, you know, at night, on a clear night with stars sparkling in the sky and uh, just pondering the nature of God, okay, and the origin of humanity. And he asks, well, what is man in verse 4? What is man? And David understands that those who are observant see the majesty of God. You can see it in nature. You can see it in, in people if you look and if you're observant. Okay. You can see it in the expanse, the, the solar system. Uh, I was watching a, a National Geographic uh, channel. They had like a kind of a mini-series on Albert Einstein. It was all about well, he's a genius, but he was a scientist, he was a physicist. He dealt with uh, empirical evidence, and although he was into relativity and things theoretical, but he was, he, I forgot exactly who he was talking to, but he said if you look at the world around you, and you look at nature, is it nobody but a God? Could have created that. Okay. And this is what David is saying here. Look at God's creation and, and, and you'll know God. It says in verse 2 even small children encounter God with awe and give praise. Okay. That's how powerful God is. And David asks, you know. Why is mankind important to God? Why does God even care about us? Okay? But yet still he takes care of us, right? Um, he made us a little, the, the, the uh, translation I read, it says he's made us a little lower than God. And we talked about this, and we were talking about this last Monday in our class about being a little lower than angels. And I look up the word is translated Elohim, which is a Hebrew and it, it means God. So when he talks about angels, we're talking about heavenly beings, you know, kind of synonymous with heavenly beings and God. He's, he says he made it a little lower than God. And he's put man in control under over everything in nature. And, you know, that's a big deal. And we should we should take that that seriously. Um That's a spiritual connection that David has with God. That's just not memorizing Bible verses or pointing out, you know, somebody over here is doing evil. That person, they're sinning. That's a personal spiritual connection that David had with God. And his disciples, that's what we're trying to cultivate, and that—that's where it all begins. That's the bedrock of it. I, you know, the, the scripture in the New Testament where it talks about 
you know, trying to pull the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. Get yourself in order. Connect with God. Be able to live with yourself. Okay? God's name is excellent, majestic. I mean, different translations use different words. I remember when we were, when we were doing singing this morning, I was thinking of that song, Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. Because um, it's kind of a tough song to, to lead, and so I wasn't going to delve into that, but that's what it reminds me of. And David uh, realizes the excellent, how excellent God's name is, how majestic his name is, so much that he repeats it. It's the beginning of the psalm, and it's at the end of the psalm. 